Hello everyone and welcome to Picture the Scene podcast, hosted by me Andrew and me Rachel. We are a true kind podcast, so listener caution is always advised. Now just a heads up, this episode is the longest one we've done, well I assume it is, we've not actually done it yet, so I know, <laughs> I, I just realised that, I know a lot of it. A lot of you like the shorter episodes as it fits in with your daily walks or commutes or whatever it is you do. When you bo- listen to us. Yeah, burying the bodies maybe. So we've, bro- we've broken this into two parts just to make it easier. But we are going to release them on the same day so you don't have to wait if you want to listen to it all in one go either. And we'll only be doing the opening spiel on this one so you don't have to listen to, to me mess this up twice. <laughs> you so, lucky people. Yes. If you'd like to become a supporter of ours, though, you can do for less than the price of a cup of tea or coffee. We are actually recording next week our next Patreon episode, aren't we, Rachel? We are. Very excited about that. Is it still in the UK? It is. Grand. So the link to our Patreon can be found in our show notes, along with the links to all of our social media accounts. So, Rachel, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Andrew. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too shabby. Good. Can't complain. It is really getting into like the throes of uh, winter now, isn't it? There were Christmas trees up when I go on my even walk. Uh, everyone is talking about the big man arriving. I'm very excited. I'm not going anywhere near where you live this Christmas, so <laughs> it's time to stop talking about me. But but yeah, no, I see Christmas trees up, and 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 I tell you what, we might made me realise it's winter as well. Yesterday I got my electricity bill, and it was double what it was. Oh, you didn't say one. that. Do you know what? As well. For our listeners that didn't listen to us this time last year, fun fact, Andrew did not put his Christmas tree up last year. So, and just to caveat that with he was moving house, um, so he kind of wasn't just being a bar humbug. Uh, There were practical reasons behind it, but I'm hoping that there are double the amount of Christmas trees in your house this year. Well, we've got a house, not an apartment now, so most probably because my wife Nikki wants to buy new trees, so that means we'll have new two trees and I've told her that we have to, before the end of November, sit down and have a planning session. Because I know she, she's big into her Christmas, so we need to plan what we need to buy extra. And what we've been doing every year so far is we've got our decorations, but they don't like the expensive ones, which um, might single dance or stuff like that. We, we've been buying one of those a year that will last. Yeah. So building nice. it up, so we've got to go and buy and I love how. Those. I love how some of my organisational skills are really, like, rubbing off on you as well. Yes, definitely. Bravo. Definitely. Um, so, periodically, I like to examine a bigger topic, still based around a case or cases, but with an overarching theme. Now, we began back in episode seven with To Protect and To Kill, which touched on themes of racism within the British police force. And then we touched on femicide back in episode 17, which looks at, believe it or not, femicide, and some of the terrifying stats behind that. Mm. Now, today's episode, we're going to continue to look at an overarching theme by looking at honour killings and abuse within the UK. Now, I wanted to touch on this because, now I want to be brutally honest here, up until a few months ago, I would have associated this with something that doesn't happen in the UK, or even really in the West. But we're in, I say we as in me and you, Rachel, Mm. we're in a privileged position that we have that voice and change can only happen when people know things need to change Mm. so and when a voice can be given to those that need it now if I didn't know about this a few months ago and 
half my life is true crime. I'm guessing a lot of people don't. So I thought this is why we need to give it a bigger voice and a bigger platform. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really good to raise awareness and knowledge on these um, cases, uh, plural, um, and not just hone in on one particular victim and make it sound like it's, you know, something that was truly awful, but a one-off when there is a bigger problem at hand. So, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to kind of hearing what you've got to say about the topic today um, in a in not a strange kind of way, because it's never pleasant hearing about, uh, you know, the awful crimes that go on, but more to raise the awareness, Andrew. Exactly. And before I get started, though, I want to give a big thanks to the charity, Severa UK, who have been kind enough to help out with some research for this episode. So their website is severauk.co.uk. That's S-A-V-E-R-A-U-K.co.uk. And they can be found on Twitter at severauk, which again is at S-A-V-E-R-A-U-K. And I'll put the links to them in our show notes and on our social media pages. Their free phone number is open between 10am and 4pm, Monday to Friday, and it is UK 0800 107 0726. So if you or anyone you know is at risk of any form of culturally specific abuse or violence, they can be contacted on that free-to-call number confidentially. However, if you or anyone you know is in immediate danger, please don't call that number and if possible, dial 999 instead. Mm. So they campaign to eliminate honour-based abuse and harmful practices and they also provide life-changing and life-saving services to those at risk, regardless of age, culture, sexuality or gender. They are great in what they do, but what I think needs special attention and praise here, Rachel, is that they put education at the heart of what they do and they try to tackle the causes of honour-based abuse and harmful practices rather than just try to mop up after it happened wow that's amazing because there will be a lot of people affected won't there you know in these kinds of cases the family members that are left that are impacted the family members that have been involved you know and being uncovered like it's not when it it is a much bigger problem than the initial crime isn't it because it's the repercussions post the event um, that that will be causing a lot of distress as well as, you know, losing a loved one. Exactly. And it's abuse as well as, as murder as well. Though. But yeah. the, the CEO and founder, Afri Kazim, gave us a statement that Rachel will read at the end of the second episode. Mm-hmm. And also I'll pop it on our social media channels and link to it in our show notes. Nice. Now, I also, we also need to get one thing clear from the start. I don't know if you're going to want me to keep this in here, Rachel, but I understand the general rulebook of podcasting is that you try not to offend anyone. So you get as many listeners as possible. But you know, Rachel, we don't play like that, do we? Because I use the word honour a lot in this episode. Now, the definition of honour is to have high respect, great esteem, to have the quality of knowing and doing what is morally morally right. So even though I use the word honour, I need to stress there is no honour in what these men do. And yes, for the large part, it is men. These people show no respect. They have no good quality. 
and they certainly don't have any morals or know what is right. So if you are one of these type of people that either think this doesn't exist or it's right because it's what's done in certain cultures and we shouldn't interfere and you're not willing to at least listen and try to understand why this is not acceptable, then please do stop, unsubscribe from us and never listen to us again because we have to nip this type of thought in the bud in any culture or religion it's not acceptable to abuse or to kill and that's a dangerous bit of misinformation Rachel the very fundamentals of human behavior is that we should allow everyone regardless of age gender or background live without the fear of or from receiving abuse we're in the 21st century now and it saddens me that this is even an issue but it is so i just wanted to get that out there if someone sat here thinking why are they going on about this it's not important it doesn't happen and if it does happen then so be it then please yeah go and listen to i don't know gb news or whatever it's called so with that over if it's safe for you to do so i'd like you to relax close your eyes and picture the scene today i'm going to be taking you back to the 25th of november 2021 and we're going to go to Liverpool, Rachel. Now, Liverpool is the 10th largest city in the UK by population, but it moves up to the 5th largest if you start talking about its metropolitan metro, metro, area, metro area. Now, it became a brewer in 1207 and officially a city in 1880, and it's famous for many things. Its architecture, its culture, its link to the arts, especially music, and you know, it's always chilling out quality musicians. One of the friendliest cities on earth and home to the greatest football team in the world and one of the most decorated in the UK. And also, I would call it my second home. Really? Oh, well, there you go. So, yeah, we've all heard of the Beatles, but there are many more musicians. And of course, as Rachel just said, the sports is home to Everton and also to, Excuse a, team, me. Also to a team called Liverpool. Um, you know what you said about people unsubscribing? I think yeah. I might be unsubscribing now. But it is home to many more sports. I'm going to just gloss over that, Rachel. Including the Grand National, which is hosted there every year. So interestingly, though, Rachel, I don't know if you knew this already, something that's not widely known about Liverpool is that it's home to the oldest black community in the UK. Did you know that? I did not know that. No, that's really interesting. And it's also, as well as that, it's also home to the oldest Chinese community in Europe. No way. So not the largest, but the oldest community. Yes. So wow. it's, it, there's a, obviously, you know, there's a Chinatown in Liverpool, if it's your second yeah. city. It, yeah, it's the oldest Chinese community in Europe. And it's a great Chinatown and like it's tucked away and it's, yeah. It like, have you ever been to Liverpool? Yes, several times. Yeah. It is just magical. Everyone is friendly and happy and... They've had some, excuse my language, shit thrown at them over the years for all sorts. And there's all sorts of jokes and, you know, bias towards, like, unconscious bias towards people that come from there, live there, or, you know, have friends and family there. And it's it's not justified, in my opinion, but, you know, you can't, can't tell everyone what to think, can you? Everyone is entitled to their opinion. Exactly. So, as you can guess... Its roots have a distinctive multicultural feel. And 
like you said, it's something that you can sense when you visit the city these days. And it probably explains why it's a really friendly city, because it's used to welcoming people and letting them be home. So it is that welcoming feeling, that sense over possibly over areas that you'd feel like you can set up home and belong. It's somewhere that links us to the first person I'd like to introduce you to, which is a Malak Adabsada. She liked to be called Katie, so we're going to call her Katie from this point on. Sounds like a good idea. She was a 47-year-old woman who was originally from Iran, who was a loving mother, sister, wife and daughter. She had come to the UK seeking and obtaining asylum from Iran back in 2018 with her son, who was 18 at the time, and her husband, who followed a little bit later, but Mohammed Azizi, who was 10 years older than her at 57. The family had settled in a two-bedroom apartment in the Green, which is in the Stonycroft area of Liverpool. And it's this apartment that I want to bring you to. But before I do, I want to take you to a bus stop some five minutes or so walk away at 4.45pm on that day last year, the 25th of November, almost a year ago now, Rachel. It was the first day, and while it was dry, it was late November, so the temperature was around 7 degrees Celsius at the time, which is around 44 degrees Fahrenheit. And I want to take you to this bus stop, because it's there that Katie's husband, Mohammed, was waiting for their son, Payam, who was returning home from a day in college. So when Payam got off the bus, they started a short walk home. Now, just outside their home, they met a man called Turaj Khorshidi, who was also an Iranian national in the UK after having sought asylum. Now, Taraj was 46 and friends with both Katie and Mohammed, and he had been trying to contact Katie that afternoon, but with no luck. So when they entered the apartment, Payam first, followed by Mohammed and Taraj, the scene they found was horrendous. The apartment looked like it had been ransacked. Now, upon further investigation, her son, Payam, found Katie dead, lying face down in the bath in a pool of her own blood. Oh my goodness. So she had been battered to death with a heavy instrument. Eleven head injuries was discovered on her, and she had no chance of survival, Rachel. And when did he last see her? Who? His, his husband. Her husband, sorry, Katie's husband. That day. So he just, he left the house, we'll get nothing. To, we'll get to there. That's okay, Rachel. But yeah, he he'd, he'd seen her... At some point during that day. So who had killed her, Rachel? And why? Why such a bloody and brutal attack? Well, yeah, I'm clearly... I don't know who's killed her because I feel like there's going to be a plot twist. So I'm just going to be quiet and let you carry on. Well, as soon as her son found her, he called the police. And it wasn't long before all three men, Katie's husband, her son and their friend, were arrested on suspicion of murder. Well, son as well. So they all, initially, they all three got arrested. But did they do it? Either all three of them? Did one of them do it? Or two of them do it? That's the question. Now, usually, the reason why you're saying this, Rachel, because you know me well by now, I usually try and leave you guessing at what happened. But I'm not going to this time because of the theme of the show. So, so while some may dispute this, both myself and the people at Severa believe this was an honour-based killing. Now, I'm going to explain why and also what exactly happened as we know it. So as I said a moment ago, all three men were arrested, husband, son, and friend. Now, all three didn't have involvement, though. Only one did, her husband. So in answer to your question, when did he last see her? 
just after he killed her. Yes. Okay. So this wow. is what yeah, this is what the police could pull together from what happened. Her husband. Before I do her husband, I'm doing this slightly different than normal. He was convicted of murder and sentenced to life with a minimum term of 16 years. But so let's give it some context, shall we? Katie and her son travelled to the UK, like I said earlier, from Iran, seeking asylum. And they settled in England in 2018, with her husband following them some 15 months later. So she was there with her son alone for 15 months before he joined them. Yeah. Now, it's been reported, and their son also mentioned arguments. So we can reasonably occurred that they had arguments. Uh, the detail we're not sure with... But, they are, but arguments and issues developed between the two, largely because Katie, it's believed, adapted well to life in Liverpool, yeah. with her husband less so. And in large part, it was probably due to language issues. Katie was able to communicate in English, but Mohammed wasn't. Okay. And do we know what drove them to Liverpool specifically, but you gay? No. No. So... She could have been the driving force, and he might have resented her for that as well. Possibly. I, I don't know. I would be a tall guess. Okay. You'd also probably imagine, though, that because she'd been by herself for 15 months before he arrived in the UK, she'd learn how to be independent in the country. Now, that's something that every person should be able to take for granted, but it's not something that is taken for granted currently in, in Iran. As you can see in the news with all the, the protests... Yeah. And I think that that's a really important key kind of part of this, isn't it? That culturally, um, it wouldn't be acceptable where they were from for her to grow and have her own life and freedom of speech and movement and actions and probably even like have a job, right? And, And be independent. But in Liverpool, her new home, she would have felt this sense of security and and freedom to flourish in that in that respect, wouldn't she? Yeah, possibly. I mean, it, it's not a bad guess to make, but but they would argue, Rachel, though, and there was tension between the pair. Now, the friend of them both, do you remember the friend was there just before they yeah. went in the apartment? Taraj was also having an intimate relationship with Katie. I'm not sure when they started, but it was ongoing at the time of Katie's brutal death. Now, it seems from what I can gather that they, at the very minimum, cared for each other dearly, with Taraj giving gifts to Katie and them calling each other in WhatsApp messages, things like my doll and dear, with Taraj also telling her that he would die for her. Oh, gosh. Now, the pair had planned to spend the afternoon together in a nearby retail park before going on to an apartment in the city centre, to spend the evening and night together, with them exchanging messages up to 11.57am that morning. But when Katie didn't show up as agreed in the afternoon, he, uh, Taraj, that is, went to her home twice to see if she was there, with no answer on the door. So he also called her son to see if he knew where she was. Now, it was that third attempt at going to her home that he found her car door open and her favourite bag in the car which he knew was unusual for her. You wouldn't leave it unlocked and a favour bag in there. And this is how this is how and why he was at their home when Mohammed and his son turned up because he'd gone again because she she was due to meet him and she hadn't. Yeah. So that's 
That's why he was there. Now, we know the son was at college all day. So we know that he couldn't have anything to do with this. No. So it only leaves Mohammed. Now, it's believed and widely accepted, as per the judge's sentencing comments, that Mohammed battered Katie to death shortly after her last messages was charged. Now, as she was getting ready to leave the home, he did this as she was getting ready to leave the home to go out. She was found to have died by repeated forceful blows to the head and face with a blunt weapon. And she also had a broken bone in her left hand, which was determined to be a defensive wound, as you can imagine. She she lifted her hand up to try and protect herself from being hit in the head. Oh my goodness. That that like do you not find those kind of details chilling when you're listening to the victims' kind of injuries because that's their last like mechanism of protecting yeah. themselves. Like. Yeah, and is that what gets me because that fear she you, you can imagine we can't imagine that's the thing. We see read this and we hear it all the time, but What's going through your head, instinctive, you'd lift your hand up to protect yourself, but the abject fear she must have been feeling, no one should ever fear that. We're not animals From anymore. her own husband as well. Exactly. Her own home, like the place that you're meant to feel safest, right? Exactly, exactly. But after he had killed her, he then ransacked the apartment so it looked like a burglary. Then it was argued by the prosecution that he spent the afternoon walking around the old Swan area so he would be captured on CCTV for an alibi. Now, CCTV, however, also caught him dumping a bag in a skip, which the police believe contained a murder weapon, although they could never recover it. He then met his son at the bus stop and went back to their home so he could let his son discover the body of his mum to try and shift the blame away from himself. Which, again, is completely awful like i wouldn't wish upon anybody to discover a body but your own flesh and blood like doesn't that show you how detached he was from emotions like a to kill his own wife but then b to let his son find his own mother's body no yeah exactly you've got to think about it because he ransacked the house to make it look like a burglary so what happened is he let the son go in first and when they saw look we've been burgled he made sure he checked all the rooms apart from the bathroom and told his son to go and check the bathroom. Fabulous. And yeah, that's just where... Just add insult to injury again. Yeah. So he could, he could have really, like, protected his son by checking only the bathroom and asking his son to check all the other rooms. But he's gone yeah. out of his way to, you know, mentally scar his own son for the rest of his life with the, not only the loss of his mother, but discovering that brutality. Exactly. Now, Rach, we're in a position where we unfortunately encounter a lot of violence and death, and some actually very similar to this. So what do you think makes this an honour killing, rather than just a spurned husband? Yeah, yeah. So from what you have told me, from everything I know from this episode so far, I wouldn't say it, it is like ringing out as an honour killing. However, I suspect you have something in your pocket about how he has behaved previously with his, you know, um, peers, his friends, maybe a congregation, um, a, a religion um, for, for his faith um, that would dictate that this this has become an, or is classified as an honour killing. 
yeah, religion didn't actually come into this, I don't think. But no, it's not that. It's a good guess, but it's not that. What made this an honour killing, I believe, and others as well, is that what he said in his comments to the police. Okay. He did originally deny the murder to begin with, but eventually admitted it and pled guilty. But in his comments to the police, so we know he killed her because he said he did, mm. but in his comments to the police... He said that he couldn't understand why his friend, Jean Bertrage, had an affair with his wife. Yeah. But also, more tellingly, that culturally in the past, now bypassed him and back in Iran, that it was like, this was unacceptable and a woman could be stoned to death for cheating on and or wanting to leave the marriage. Right, okay. And this, I guess, his how he killed her was his version of stoning. Well, yeah, 11, no, I don't think like, so. But yeah, but 11, like... That was just it blows thing, but, So it's that comment, but also just... It shows that he felt he had the right to do it. Yeah, yeah. And that what makes... She was his this, wife. Yeah, this what makes this an honour killing. So, but I tell you who did have a right. Katie had a right, Rachel. Absolutely. And she, and she had a right to want to just be herself, to live how she wanted to live and to do whatever made her happy. Now, if that meant ending an unhappy marriage, then so be it. That choice should never end in abuse or death. Never. Now, Afray, the founder of Severa, gave us this quote about Katie's death. Malak, a.k.a. Katie, was a woman who wanted to live the life she desired as we should all be entitled to do. She was also entitled to make the choice to leave her husband. This is not a decision that should ever be punished by abuse or death. In police questioning, Azizi said that in the past, her behaviour was culturally unacceptable and you you could be stoned to death in punishment. Now, this is a false and harmful belief. It has never been acceptable any cultural religion to kill or abuse. It has always been an abuse of human rights. Culture is beautiful and no excuse for any type of violence or abuse. We welcome the decision by Judge Andrew Menari Q. Casey to sentence Azizi to life imprisonment and we will ensure that Malak will not be forgotten. Severa UK will continue to tackle the harmful cultural beliefs and practices that lead to violence, abuse and murder so that lives are not needlessly lost. So... And thank you, afraid for that. But let, let me just give you some facts now, Rachel, and just a few before I move on. Between 2010 and 2014, there was 11,000 incidents of honour crime recorded by police in the UK. Oh my goodness, that's insane. Exactly, and these range from forced marriage to female genital mutilation, sorry, there were also 18 cases of recorded honour killings in the UK at that time. And but I bet, I bet because they're not like, um, you know, they're not these kind of like crimes that make headlines. You know, they've been very not well reported on in the press, right? Not all of them, no. And but since 2014, the number of cases of honour-based abuse, forced marriage, and female genital mutilation being reported to the police in the UK, has risen by 53%. Now, sadly, 
it's estimated that only 5% of honour-based crimes reported to the police in the UK result in a conviction. So five out of every hundred, it's, it's disgraceful. It's awful. Yeah. And why is that, do we know? There's not enough evidence, not enough people coming forward. I also think it's, I'm, I'm giving my opinion here, but I just think it's, yeah, it's hard for them to get the evidence, hard for them to get the cooperation from the communities. And it, it's that feeling of shame that victims shouldn't feel, but they do feel. And do you know what, Andrew, like this case obviously proves or disproves my um, knowledge, but I believed that honour killings were involved where like the full family were kind of behind the... Um, the, the death of the crime like you know where mom dad and brother or auntie uncle and cousin um were kind of responsible for um coming together and you know planning the attack or you know the 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 death of the the victim um i had no idea that um it was you know just in some cases an individual on his own terms um following his own like justification and ramblings that he would then go off and say, right, I'm going to execute my plan and, and kill my wife. I don't think you're wrong there, but I think it can be both. It depends on the situation. Yeah, clearly, clearly what happened to Katie, you know, he didn't have a tribe of people behind him that were like, yeah, go for it. You know, she has dishonored you. So you are well within your rights. You know, it, um, that, you know, that's very different to like, what would be um, the case from the stories that I have read about. Yeah, wait, exactly. And we know from covering the femicide topic, Rachel, that it is proven that until the authorities deem something is important, a lot of incidents don't get categorised correctly. No. And this, so this leads to vastly lower statistics than what is the actual case. So those stats that I just gave you, especially between 2010 and 2014, and I'll give you some more up-to-date stats later on. I don't think, I think they were the tip of the iceberg. I don't think they were the actual real numbers happening. Right. They were just the ones which got picked up on maybe the most obvious ones. Because okay. you think about it, we remember when it was femicide, and the problem, I don't want to keep touching back to that episode, but we saw that the countries that actually was focusing on it had much higher rates in the company, sorry, countries which didn't record it properly and didn't consider it an issue because if they don't, then it's just simply not recorded. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, I don't envy people that are in charge of like prioritizing crimes on a scale, right? And, you know, categorizing, you know, what, what is most important to fixate on. But with the figures that you've published here, there is clearly a problem and something clearly needs to be addressed here about it so that we can do something about it. Exactly. Now, Severo informs me that it's estimated, and I'm really thankful for this charity for pointing me in the right direction, giving me some stats and some quotes, that it's estimated, and I'll talk about them later on, that it's estimated there are 12 to 15 honour killings in the UK every year so that's at least one a month that's 12 to 15 too many <laughs> exactly that's my next line that's what i've just put there's at least one a month too many if you ask me and i agree with you completely rachel it it, it shouldn't happen so i want to go into crimes of honor though 
before we go into the next case because it's okay me just telling you about a case and saying lots happen and giving the stats what actually is a crime of honor well firstly the victims are usually women or girls but they can be any gender and it's worth noting that crimes of honor are not always exclusively violent you'd assume that they are but they're not always exclusively violent and this is an this is not an exhaustive list that i'm about to read but it's one that gives you a good idea so crimes of honor can be domestic abuse both physical and psychological pressure so such as strict monitoring humiliation threats they can be threats of violence it can be financial or dowry abuse it can be sexual abuse emotional emotional or psychological abuse it can be coercive control i know we spoke about that a lot in the past it can be forced marriage which we'll touch on a bit later it can be even being held against your will or taking somewhere that you don't want to go which again we'll touch on that later on it can be assault and unfortunately it can be and this it makes me shudder but it can also be female genital mutilation so fgm as it's abbreviated to which i just don't understand at all but um i know and that is so like that's such a strange topic to even be like to for coming out coming out your mouth eh? because like cult, it is only in certain cultures that that is even a thing right um but those cultures are you know in countries across the world and and the fact that something like that is going on here and in in the in broad daylight like absolutely awful this whole topic is just awful to be discussing about in the modern day like forced marriage you know crimes on women and children like yeah awful like i yeah i'm lost words actually so i'm just going to start talking that's okay so i'm going to touch on some stats and some other info in part two along with two other cases but for now yeah what did you think of that case and also thinking about before i started talking what was your opinion on honor-based crimes before and has it changed i wouldn't say i had like a changed opinion because i still feel like strongly that it is like so wrong and cannot believe that you know like i say we kind of have to give it the airtime because it's so like the the numbers speak for themselves it's clearly a real problem in the uk however what i would say is it's opened my eyes to all the different types of honor-based killings that there are and the size of the problem and that probably won't even cut half of what's actually going on because how much of this is behind closed doors and not reported on because the women and children think it's culturally acceptable or they're just too afraid to do anything about it which is why severe is so important because it's about that education it's about teaching what's right and what should be happening what shouldn't be happening to stop it happening so thank you all for listening so far we have not finished but i just want to give you a break in case your dog's getting tired and you've taken him for too long a walk so we'll see you all in part two Yep, see you soon, guys.